part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Did Moomoo's story fit for an episode of The Crown? Should bicycles actually be allowed on busy London streets, or was Colehurst crash his own fault? What did you think of Prince Philip and the Birds? We'll answer those questions and more on this review of The Crown, Season 5, Episodes 1 through 3, our spoiler-filled edition of Podcast Lillibit begins now. We're covering the most recent season of The Crown. Make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. Welcome back, everybody, to Podcast Lillowit, Double M and Double B, Boss Bubba, with me this time around. And we are going to be exploring Season 5, Episodes 1 through 3 of The Crown, the story side of things. We've got a contest for you all this season so that you can win all kinds of cool Crown-related books. We are here to get right to business, and then we'll tell you a little bit more about the podcast. Bubba, what is your rating for these three episodes, season five, episodes one through three, I gave these three episodes only six double A's out of ten. Six? But double A's? Yes. I feel the episodes are aimlessly adrift, Ooh. a bit like the Yacht Britannia. This show, especially in its season openers, in that first two episodes, it feels like it sets up a theme. Normally, it feels like it sets up a destination or it hints at the destination in the first couple episodes. These three, it felt very scattershot, very adrift. I'm not sure what it's pointed towards. Now, admittedly, it has so many characters we care about. We haven't really spent any time with Princess Margaret. We we really haven't spent much time with the Queen after three episodes. And so I understand it has a lot of ground to cover. It has to introduce us to new characters like Moo Moo. But for me, it, I, I think the Queen has always been the most fascinating character on the show. And so at least in these early three episodes, we need a lot more of her and less of Prince Philip always being restless. He's restless once a season. And Moo Moo was fascinating. But maybe they should have started with Moomoo if that's really kind of the Diana story they want to tell. Those are my thoughts. I'm st- it's still got incredible production values. It's still incredibly interesting. I am still ignorant of the history it's trying to teach us in these episodes. But for me, it, it didn't have much focus. So six out of 10, I'm still excited to see the rest of season five, but I want it to kind of have more focused storytelling. It may be not uh, come across, at least, as so scattershot. But that's my opinion. Who cares what I think? I want to know what our listeners think, and I also want to know what you think, Matt. So what did you think of these first three episodes of Season 5? Well, I went a bit higher than you, but it's probably just as low as far as my scale goes, because, you know, I can't give anything lower than a 7 when I rate anything. Uh, but I only gave this 8.5 out of 10, what I like to call double Ys. 
Wait, double wise. Yeah, just like you are aimlessly adrift, I'm on the yacht yammering. It's yacht yammerings <laughs> for me. And I actually think that your points are very good simply for the fact that I feel like they weren't even setting groundwork for this season, but they were also setting an awful lot of groundwork for next season, mm-hmm. even in these first three episodes for this season. Uh, the metaphors of the yacht, whether she'll weather the storm and all of that stuff is really about what happens later on in this season. Spoiler alert, you know, all of the catastrophes happening around the monarchy and around the queen herself. I understand how you feel about the queen not being really all that involved. I thought her introduction was great. I think this cast is immaculate. I absolutely love this cast. And I love the character of Moo. I was really invested in that episode, except for the music, which people have already heard me complain about that in the musical version, uh, musical analysis podcast, where I cover these three episodes. I just love that Moomoo's just kind of like a jerk, but at the same time, he, he's kind of this amazing, kind person uh, when he wants to be. And I, I love that. The Diana stuff in the episode, second episode is what pulled my overall rating down a lot, too. Um, hmm. I understand it's very real. It 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 feels biographical in a lot of ways, uh, at least in line with some of her biographies. Uh, but it really just kind of left me really depressed. The poor the poor gal had everything and nothing all at the same time. So it wasn't really so much about the execution as it was just the way that it made me feel. Uh, but that's pretty much my respects as far as this episode goes. Eight point five out of ten. Folks, as Bubba said, you know, we want to know what you think, because who cares what we think, even though we're the ones with the microphones talking at you. We still want to hear what you think so that we can share that on these microphones. How do you do that? You tweet at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-Bet-Pod on Twitter. You can also send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Use that same spelling for our website and leave comments on the web posts, mattsaudioblog.com. And you can, of course, leave comments on our videos there. Search youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Use that same spelling for their website. And one other spelling to keep track of, double P-H-Q, the word double, the letters P-H-Q. And by doing that, you can find them on Instagram, on Twitter. You can find them using that spelling on Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. And I think we're both on Hive now, me as Matt's audio blog and Double P Media on as Double P HQ. Or are you on as Double P Media, Bubba? HQ, baby. HQ. He keeps it consistent. That's that's a double C. No, a double K. No, it's not a double at all. So uh, that's all of the information, but why do we want your feedback? Because we have a lot of stuff to give away. We have books like The Crown Dissected, The Crown in Vogue, The Crown Official Companion, both volumes one and two. We're going to be giving all of that away at the end of this season. And the only way that you can be entered into our contest is to leave us some feedback. So get on those YouTube comments, hit those likes, do the subscribe, do all of that stuff as I try to destroy my microphone with these big books that you can win. I love giving stuff away and I can't wait to give stuff away to you. So be sure to send in that feedback. As I said before, our musical analysis is presented in separate episodes, which precede this one. Uh, For this one, it's a little bit 10 and uh, you can find it on the Double P Media YouTube as well. Let's talk about Season 5, Episode 1, Queen Victoria 
syndrome, pardon me, uh, which was written by uh, Peter Morgan, the showrunner, and directed by Jessica Hobbs. Uh, she has uh, six and seventh episodes directing for the series this season, uh, and she had uh, previously directed two eps in season three and three eps in season four. Here is your 64-second recap of the episode. It's all about the fitness of boats and monarchies as the episode begins with a younger queen with Claire Foy returning for the role to launch the Britannia, the royal yacht, followed by our 1990s Elizabeth getting a checkup. Prince Charles is getting polls and Diana is getting an invitation for a second honeymoon. The honeymoon is not so much so as disagreements about beaches and shopping end up pitting Di and Charles' son William to have to take up for his mom. Aboard the Britannia, Philip starts hearing things wrong with the ship and makes a repair list and expenses while Elizabeth visits lighthouses with her daughter Anne and talks about potential new boyfriends. Oh, by the way, the Prime Minister is now John Major, and the Prince has also urged an article criticizing his mother, Secretary Scamper, that's a double S, in an attempt to keep the article away from the Queen, while Charles cuts his, quote, honeymoon short to try and get the new Prime Minister to see his side of things and trying to get things to go more his way. Neither attempt is very successful. Prime Minister Major doesn't want to mess with Charles, nor with paying for Lilibet's boat, but finds the Queen quite entrenched. At the Gillies Ball, Prime Minister Major gets an education on the poor state of the relationships of the royal family, including Charles and Anne Andrew from Diana. Gets a little local history from Princess Margaret, and then comments to his wife how dealing with the royal family is the one thing he hadn't foreseen being a big headache for his new job. We have the tiny wheel of topics this season, so that we'll get through all of the aspects of each episode. We spin the wheel. Whatever it lands on, that's what we talk about. Let's spin the wheel. Bubba, uh, I, I know I've got my glasses on, but I still can't read that. What, what, what did the wheel land on? Well, it landed on, in some ways, I think the main character of this first episode, and that's Prince Charles. And Charles, he's going on a second honeymoon. Is this because he really wants to go, or is this because he's got one job, and one job that he can't do until his mother lets him do it? Or sadly passes away what did you think of charles our new charles let's talk about the new actor dominic west taking over the character of charles i would say over 50 or 40 250s and what did you think of him his portrayal and the character in really his only time to shine in these first couple episodes on his cruise where then he has to get back immediately to act kingly what did you think of Dominic West, first and foremost. What do you think, Matt? Well, continuing with my double Y yacht yammerings, I just have to say that, you know, he he obviously wants a new ship and he wants that new ship to be him. Uh, he wants to decommission the queen. <laughs> and uh, I was really struck by Dominic West. I thought he would. He did a fantastic job. I think that the uh, Josh, what's his name, that played Charles in seasons three and four. I can't remember the actor's it's name. It's O'Connor. Uh, okay. And he did uh, a wonderful job playing a young Charles. I thought that his mannerisms were great and everything. I don't think that Dominic West really cares that much about that. I think that this season especially really focuses on the personality of Charles. And I think that he he exemplifies what we all, when we see Charles on the screen, you know, <laughs> and, and see his general grumpiness most of the time. I think that he he kind of really exemplifies or or produces that kind of effect on you as you're watching him uh, on this Netflix show. So I really appreciated his performance. 
And uh, I don't like the idea of Charles going around behind the uh, prime minister's back, which didn't actually happen, or going around the queen's back to the prime minister. It did not actually happen. That was just for drama's sake. But uh, just as a character, I do not like him um, getting all this stuff out, acting on something. Now, he didn't initiate the poll, really, but he certainly tried to take advantage of it. And that... uh, just got rubbed me the wrong way about Charles. So again, uh, I think that he's a very complex character. I think you get a different light of him in the next couple of episodes after this, but I, I initially Charles is not my guy. How about you, Bubba? Well, first and foremost, I've a huge fan of Dominic West. Like everybody, I watched the wire and loved his character McNulty on that show. He doesn't physically look much like Prince Charles. I believe Josh O'Connor who played him in the previous two seasons more resembles how I imagined Charles looked back then. But the one thing that this episode didn't get to do is really talk much about his motives. We saw in the previous seasons, at the very least, what made Charles's tick. And this, it was all active Charles, Charles plotting and scheming, and not why this matters to him so much emotionally, which I think the episode could have benefited from. I added it when I was talking about uh, when I was talking about this topic we're discussing about how this isn't in the episode, but in my own mind, I'm thinking, well, okay, if you've really just got one job, if you have one purpose to be the heir, and you're already at midlife, and you you're not even close to becoming the heir, what do you do? Wouldn't that wouldn't that give you that kind of uh, drive to suddenly start start living, for lack of a better word? And so. The episode didn't provide that to us. Now, I want to point this out. We're going to talk about it later when we talk about feedback, that I really do try to look at this as a TV show. And, you know, I don't mind that some of the facts of this may not be true. I'm trying to I'm trying to watch it as as entertainment. I'm not trying to read it as a as a biography. And so just as entertainment, I thought we needed more insight into Charles's psyche and why this was important to him. In the episode, I think without that, he almost comes across as 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 an empty chill. Did you find any empathy for him, Bubba, when the scene came up with him and uh, Penny's husband uh, when he was talking about the state of his marriage? I mean, obviously, we see that he's back with Camila at the beginning of this episode Uh, there. She's outside the door with the dogs getting into her car. Uh, so I think the only way that I got any kind of motivation out of him is the fact that he's just very sincerely unhappy in his marriage and that this whole second honeymoon was nothing but done. So because he admits to him, you know, the cameras love the two of them together. But I guess the only part, and you were about to get to the only part where I thought there was a little bit of a glimmer of this character. And that's when he said in public, we work and we do work. It was like he was admitting, boy, this really does work and can work. It's just he and his wife. Once again, I'm talking about characters, not real. Right. The real people, uh, listeners. But when you hear that, you're frustrated for the character of like, if this works in public, it definitely could work in private as well. Yes, you would have to in many ways change who you are. And I forget if I talked about this uh previously on a podcast i may reveal too much but i read this great relationship book after i broke up with a relationship 
And it talks about how if you're someone who's very uh, insular, who's not very outgoing, there's something in your personality that has prevented you from being outgoing. And then you see somebody who's outgoing and you're attracted to that because you're like, oh boy, that's, that's, you know, I wish I was outgoing like that. But whatever is keeping you from being outgoing in your, in your internal life, at a certain point, even if you're attracted to this person who's outgoing, at a certain point, the thing that is keeping you from being outgoing is going to want to stop that person from being outgoing. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can end up in trouble. And it feels like Charles was attracted to Diana for all the traits he didn't have and he wished he had. But at a certain point, the things that keep him from having those traits, he's trying to force on her. And because she won't become like him, he, he it's just really, it's just really tough to see. But that was once again more in previous seasons than just in this one glimmer in the first three episodes that we get of those two. So though, you know, I'm glad Charles is here. I think he is a, a fascinating character, but in this one episode of the three that he really kind of has any time to shine in, I didn't become as connected with him as I did with Josh O'Connor's version of the character in the previous seasons. How about that? I think that that's very uh, understandable myself. Anything else on Charles or shall we spin the wheel again? No, there's a lot to cover because these episodes are so scattershot across the bow. Yeah, spin it. Let's go somewhere else. Oh, I can read this one, Baba. I can read Ooh. this one. All right, let's hear uh, it. It's, it says the prime minister babysitter, uh, just <laughs> as random as it can be, as he shows up to, what is that, Balmoral and attends the Gillies Ball. He is not only, he not only has already babysat, Charles, as we just talked about before, but he yep. is now uh, having to evaluate the state of this family, and he's hearing things on all sides. So the queen says, "I'm taking my boat. You're you're going to fix my boat," <laughs> and she sounds kind of out of touch with what he's trying to convey in terms of fiscal responsibility during a global recession. Uh, at the same time, it's not that much. It's about two million two million pounds, I think, at the time, uh, but nonetheless he's he's having to deal with that he's getting on all sides he's uh margaret is judging him as to whether he knows a certain book or something like that as far as uh you know the the whole gillies dance tradition and uh diana's giving him all the dirty laundry on the entire family and and predicting that the whole thing's just going to come crashing down and he says to his wife oh my gosh this is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's like the the kids are running around crazy, shooting guns. They're just feckless. What do you call them? Feckless. And uh, and and he called the senior royal family out of touch. Uh, and he's stuck with all of this. He doesn't have any choice. Poor guy. I really like this portrayal, by the way. Matt, I'm so glad you say this. Now, first and foremost, this is a symbol that we're all getting old. If Johnny Lee Miller who was so famous for playing all these young, energetic characters, is suddenly playing this middle-aged, you know, kind of stick-in-the-mud John Major. This is incredible. Now, what, you know, how many times can I say I'm judging this as a TV show? I know very little of Prime Minister John Major in real life. I imagine kind of what I know about him. I'm not sure I would vote for him. But this portrayal is so sympathetic to the to the position he's placed in in this episode i loved it even if it made me feel real old seeing johnny lee major johnny lee miller excuse me playing john major 
that character, you just felt for him. You're like, dude, just pretend you've got some crisis so you can get out of this mess. I, I really enjoyed it. Landed on, I can't read that, Bubba. Where did, where did it land? Well, I think you're saying that it landed on, once again, if I can see correctly, you're landing on point four. And the episode title is uh, Queen Victoria Syndrome. And I, once again, I just don't know much about history. I know American history pretty well. Apologies to everybody who says I should know this. But the way they keep mentioning Queen Victoria and the queen should be a leader, but a leader you don't get to hide newspapers from, right? Like in this country, admittedly, we just had a president that some people say you had to, you had to hide bad news from and certain things like that. But if it's the character we've been following all this time, the queen has a good head on her shoulders. Show Elizabeth everything. And the idea that they're trying to massage the news, it's just odd to see. And so, once again, judging this as characters we've seen for previous seasons, give her the paper, give her the bad news, let her make decisions. Because generally in this show world, she makes great decisions. That's my thought. What did what did you think of of good old Queen Victoria syndrome? Okay, first of all, I thought that Imelda Sutton's performance was amazing uh, in oh, all yeah. of these episodes when when we did get a chance to see her. Secondly, I feel like uh, this is something that we actually see her work through. You know, she gets the newspaper, she works through it in the way that we've seen the queens of the past seasons work their way through it. We know that Elizabeth is very unemotional. She just kind of, you know, uh, and basically a, a simple stare to Charles, a simple stare to, to whatever uh, says all that she needs to say. She doesn't have to cry and fuss about it, uh, which makes other parts of this season, spoiler alert, uh, pretty amazing as well. But I want to uh, just focus on that particular problem in itself and the fact that Charles is rooting for this uh, more so. I, and I, the thing that I have trouble with is it's not like Charles is rooting against his mother. He believes he can do better. And he's starting to really uh, talk about how he feels like his wife life is becoming a waste uh, because he's just sitting around waiting as the episodes go on here. And one of the things that I found most wonderful about the queen and her reaction to it, uh, she didn't really dress her personal secretary down. She just kind of said, go get me that paper, please. You know, it's it's like, I love the fact that when uh, at Balmoral, she says, so you had a good walk. She says, yes. And the queen mother comes up and says, we read the newspapers. And, and, and Anne says, no, we didn't. Because at that time, I didn't even pick up on it until like watching it a second or third time. She's trying to cover up from Elizabeth that that Elizabeth doesn't hear anything about what happened in the paper. Because you know that the Queen Mother was going to talk about it and tell her that she was doing the exact right thing because it was upholding the tradition. Because that's what the Queen Mother always says to to Elizabeth. But uh, all of that interplay and the fact that she came to a... I mean, it, she didn't let it affect her that I could tell. Uh, you know, I think there was some internalization of it, but it didn't seem to really, you know, it's not like it's something that broke her. 
So why why go to that trouble in the first place? Why not just talk to her and say, look, there was this poll in the Times. Here's what it says. I, I just think that I, the personal secretary trying to get uh, Tommy to withhold the paper to where he ends up having to look like a complete jerk in front of Ann. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just uh, it it was pointless uh, when you well, see who, the result. Who was that secretary back in season one and season two who was such a hard ass? We need oh, that I guy back here. his name now. It's, what was it? The C? Oh, man, I feel terrible. That guy. You couldn't hide anything from that guy. That's who we need to come in here and really lay down the uh, lay down the law on these uh, new secretaries who just don't know what it takes to squash everything. Like they would squash that guy, and I feel terrible. I want to look up his name because he was so good. He would squash anything. He was only he was he was mean. Oh, Lascelles, wasn't that Tommy Lascelles? Tommy oh, Lascelles, yeah. that was it. So yeah, good. Played, and the actor that played him ended up being getting a role in the Nevers, where he ends up playing a very similar straight laced, uh, pretty good jerk guy. <laughs> He's pretty good at that role. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's who we needed. That's what I thought. That's who the queen needs. Let's get the cloning started a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right, I think there's just one topic left, so we don't even need to spin. You ready? Yep. It's, wait a minute, Queen Elizabeth 1.0 is back for a little bit of time. It's Claire Foy. Kind of becoming a tradition, isn't it? It's it's The last two seasons have started out with a flashback of her. Uh, it's not like Claire Foy needs to work, and it's not like that she's lost a, a, a touch uh, with playing this role either. I love her mannerisms. I love the sound of her voice. I, I I'm always tickled pink whenever she shows up for a flashback. Uh, it's just fantastic to me. I, I just, uh, give a little cheer and a little fist pump. I'm like, yeah, my queen's back because this is the character and the actor that I was so drawn to that got me into this series in the first place. Um, unfortunately she had to deliver a lot of the metaphor crap that came at the beginning of this episode, really for the entirety of the season. Oh yeah. I mean, you were, you weren't kidding. It's always great to see her. It might've been fun to you know, I don't know the history. If Prince Philip had been there too, it would really tie these characters back to the uh, original actors who established the role. But uh, yeah, anytime she wants to drop by in a flashback, let's roll. That being all of our topics, uh, it's time to take just a little break from discussing episodes and do mm. a parliamentary debate. Ah, yes. This time around, our parliamentary bait for this episode, it regards Philip's repair bill. Uh, he estimates that that's two million pounds in 1991, which would convert to about uh, six point five million dollars in the U.S. now, which really, you know, it's kind of a drop in the hat anymore. The way yeah, that government spends that's money. nothing. That's nothing. You know, so it's not like it was a great expenditure, but. You have to understand that the prime minister was concerned with the global recession that was starting to happen that we kept hearing on the radio the whole time, every time he was going somewhere. So uh, this uh, creates a little bit of controversy between Elizabeth and not. But what do you say? Uh, Charles thinks uh, the boat should just be decommissioned. He even tries to get the prime minister to see that she'll be unreasonable about it. Uh, mm. But uh, Phillips got his. Well, you know, information well, together. Well, you, you're representing, think? looking at you now here on this video, you are obviously representing the House of Commons. 
while me dressed to the nines, I am representing the House of Lords. So I'm saying, good grief, two million pounds. That's a drop in a bucket. This is the 80s. I mean, think of all the money you're making from Benny Hill reruns. I say pay it. This is, once again, as an American, I am completely ignorant of all these things, but the crown is a bit like your symbol. You know, th this is your your window to the world. And if you have your your royalty out there on a on a leaky boat, that doesn't that doesn't show much confidence. I'm saying cough up the money. Fix the boat. Wow. Okay. Well, see, I was hoping that you would follow my lead to where I was leading towards being for this. And instead you went for this, which means now I have to argue against it because that's what a parliamentary debate does. So I got to be the bad guy here and say, okay. the prime minister prior gave them tons of money, which has made them richer than ever before. That's what prime minister John major argues. They don't, it, it's a drop in the hat, like you say. So let the Royals pay for the drop of the hat rather than, you know, the the cost of a school library somewhere in the south of London. Does the Royal Yacht Britannia, does it do official functions? Yes. yes. Does it, is it open for tours? Let's imagine it is. Could you... Could you, you know, could you rent it out as an Airbnb? Sure. So if it's part of, if it's doing official government work like these tours. It, the point is, not, is it's, it's not, not essential they, to doing that government work, Bubba. It can be done what do you, uh, what by do you, taking a plane. You want, them on a, no. you want them on a Royal Caribbean cruise? No, you know, I don't want them on a Royal Caribbean cruise. I don't want them on a boat Americans. at all. I want them on a plane. No. I want them in and out. I want the cost expenses to be a lot less. Come on. Maybe you okay. don't think of the great British wartime generals. They were always on a boat. Since when is Queen Elizabeth a general? Listen, she she leads. She, she's the sovereign. The sovereign leads. They don't lead right. They don't lead from behind. They lead from the boat. Let's put it on a poll at LittleBitPod on Twitter. You can vote whether uh, they should have spent that money on the Britannia or not. Be sure to look for it at LittleBitPod. We'll get you the results sometime later on in these podcast. Mm -hmm. series oh there is one other thing else to do here and that's we have to do a little history check as far as this episode goes here's your history for season five episode one on november 27th 1990 john major is elected prime minister and invited by the queen to form a government in her name on november 28th source wikipedia There was never any discussion between Sir John Major and the then Prince of Wales about any possible abdication of the late Queen Elizabeth II, nor was such an improbable and improper subject ever raised by the then Prince of Wales or by Sir John. Source, Cambridge News. 
Charles, Di, William, and Harry did go on a vacation to Italy in August of 1991, and they were joined by Norton and Penny Natchbull for that trip. Source, Insider Magazine. What is a Gillies Ball? After Queen Victoria and her husband Prince Albert purchased Balmoral in 1852, they threw a dance in September to thank their staff and servants. This dance would soon become known as the Gillies Ball. The term Gilly is Gaelic for gamekeeper. And Gillies are also specifically designed shoes, commonly worn in Scottish country dance. Elizabeth held her balls at the end of each of her summer stays at Balmoral. Source, Town and Country Magazine. Season 5, Episode 2, The System, which is something mm. Philip says you never mess with. Uh, it's written by Peter Morgan, directed once again by Jessica Hobbs. As I said, her 6th and 7th episodes were directed for this season Here's your 64-second recap. It's all about Philip, who is seeing birds of prey everywhere and having trouble hearing reporter questions. When his godson Norton's daughter, Leonora, dies, he pays the family a visit at the urging of Elizabeth. He finds and gets to know Norton's wife, Penny Natchpole. He repairs a carriage for her and frequently offers her advice about marriage and grief. It's also about Diana, where a tabloid writer wants to write a book about her, and negotiations and questions are asked through her friend, James Colthurst. Some strange happenings, such as a bike accident, clicking on phones, and a break-in of the writer Andrew Morton's house occur. The dictation itself reveals Diana's troubled childhood and how she feels about her situation in the royal family. Philip learns through Penny that a book is coming and then goes and confronts Diana, telling her not to rock the boat. The book is published anyway, and Diana cements her place as the unwelcome member of the system, all while Philip and Lilibet discuss what marriage actually consists of. And we will once again spin the wheel of topics. It looks like there's a few more topics on the wheel. I see more colors. Uh, so this one uh, will probably, since that means there'll be smaller lettering, I probably won't be able to read any of these, Bubba. There's only five, Matt. You're, you're, Matt, are you blind? There are only five. Spin the dang thing. Okay, there we go. So we're going to get to this right now. We're going to get to this right now, and that is Prince Philip is always looking up and seeing a bird. Is this a vulture ready to eat his dying carcass, or is this some symbolism that we're not quite getting that Prince Philip has always wanted to be free. He wants to fly. He wants to do this. He, he needs some freedom within the system. And so whether it's polo or in this case, whether it's carriage riding, Prince Philip is that bird that longs to be free occasionally when he slips out of the system. I want to point out that he was an avid bird watcher and photographer, and he wrote a book and he published it back in 1962 about his journeys around the world and the birds he saw. So he, you know, he was very interested in birds. It just felt almost heavy handed how much Prince Philip kept seeing these birds in this episode. And I've said, I believe it's a symbol of, of how he can, uh, he wishes he was still flying. He wishes he was still free. 
the the joy he gets from these carriage rides uh you know are like his holiday from himself but uh mm. that's me what did you think about these crazy bird shots, Matt? Well, since I posed the question, I'm not sure that I have much of the answers. I was more interested in the places in the episode that it showed up because it does show okay. up. And he sees it where the carriage ride happened, or in the beginning sequence when he's getting interviewed by the reporter. Right. He also sees it when he's outside Kensington Palace about to go tell Diana, or maybe it's right after he tells Diana mm-hmm. not to fight the system, not to publish this book, not to do any of this stuff, mm. uh, essentially laying down the law to her. So what would what about, you know, being free from himself? Is it just his wish of being free from himself, even though he has to impose the exact opposite on his daughter-in-law? You know, Matt, I can't exactly answer. I I did think it was almost comical how much the show kept cutting (laughs) him looking at a bird. I do want to briefly mention that now Prince Philip is played by Jonathan Price, an actor we have also been following his entire career since the 80s and Brazil, and all this insanity. He really, this is a bit unfair to say, but the transition uh, from Matt Smith to Tobias Menzies felt a bit smoother, just like kind of, you know, if you squint, you could see how one person went from one to the other. Mm-hmm. But Jonathan Price really, really, really does not look like uh, the other two too much. He seems a lot shorter. So Prince Philip... Uh, you know, shrank a bit, uh, perhaps metaphorically, metaphorically between seasons. What did you think, Matt? Uh, what did, what do you think about Jonathan Price? Certainly a great actor. I don't want to take anything away from him, but uh, what did you think when you saw him in this film? I think that his role in this series, and I have to almost think about it beyond just these episodes, but in this particular episode, it was fine. It was okay. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily sold on him being Philip either because he didn't seem the difference for me was the way he held his stat, the way he held himself, uh, both Tobias Minions and, and Matt Smith had this very straightforward, almost aggressive kind of stance anytime they yes. were on screen. Right. And here he. And, and I understand it's age, right? Here he's a little slumped over and he seems it almost kind of softens his demeanor a little bit, even when he's telling, you know, I do. If Tobias Menzies was giving that speech in this episode, I would have been a heck of a lot more scared than I was by Jonathan Price saying it. Let me just put it that or way. Or even Matt Smith. You're right. They were both. They were both. They would be petulant at times, the character, once again, not the real person, but the character would be petulant at times and and strong and kind of demanding at times. And that was not this Prince Philip um, at all. It also, his softness with this Penny, I'm going to mispronounce the character's last name, Natchable? I think that's how you pronounce it, yeah. His softness with that character and his why he would suddenly want to connect with her it didn't come across too strongly in the episode about why what was it about her that brought out his you know the way the show wants me to think take it i believe is that in penny he saw a bit of himself somebody trapped in this system and she does say that a bit but i didn't exactly see him in her and so therefore his constant reaching out i didn't quite connect with that motive as well as i thought i might have so that's an excellent point 
That's an excellent point. As happenstance, it just landed on Philip anyway as a general topic. Oh boy, yeah. we got we got to put up with Philip once a season, listeners. So, yeah, so if well, you love, it, hold on, if listeners, if you guys love Prince Philip as a character, please write to us and let us know why you love him. Or if you get a bit frustrated that we have to have every, you know one one episode a season of Philip being, uh, I need to need to fly. I need to get out of this. Once again, let us know. Write down in the comments if you're on YouTube. If you're on any of these social media things, reach out to at WPHQ. I can't wait to hear from you. So, okay, what's this subject about Prince Philip? Well, this is just about everything else. I mean, we talked about the the actor's portrayal, but Mm -hmm. I think story-wise, there are some really neat points for Philip in here because when Mm -hmm. he is doing all kinds of things regarding fixing Penny's carriage, you, mm-hmm. you see all of those traits that we've seen in younger versions of Philip in this series. Uh, you know, that the impossible is always achievable. I went to this school, Charles, so you should be able to survive it too. You know, oh, yeah. uh, I, I see these men on the moon. I can do something too. I'm going to take a plane and I'm going to try and fly it out of the atmosphere. Wasn't uh, there a thing where like, you don't think I can build this gate at the school. I can stay out in the rain and build this damn gate at the school. Wasn't there something like that? Yes, there was in, in uh, the ninth episode of season two. Absolutely. So he's had that ever since he was a child. Um, and it, I love that. And he doesn't, he, you, he, when the guys that are working on the carriage say, I don't know if we can do this or not. He won't take no for an answer. Even Penny Nashville says, you know, I did, we've been told it's unrepairable. Oh, nonsense. We'll fix this, you know. Uh, and then on the other side, that kind of complements that softer side that Jonathan Price can really give uh, those thoughts about grief with Penny. And, he, you know, uh, bringing back the story of his sister dying in the plane crash. Uh, that was from back in season two as well. And one of the Philip kind of oriented episodes. Uh, and seeing how I thought that this was one of the things where Price really did well was to exemplify how that still was with him. You know, uh, you could still almost see it behind his eyes that it was one of those things that he's learned to tolerate, but he's never really accepted. Uh, and that or at least that was the performance, what the performance gave to me. What thoughts did you have about Philip? So, so I try not to do this. I'm so ignorant of the history it is, or the history there, even the fake history that they're trying to get to, that I'm watching it and I'm trying to think at a certain point during it, I'm like, is he trying to flirt with Penny? And mm. then I, of course, had to Google it because it did pique my interest about like, what is this trying to imply? And then you hear about rumors and things that don't seem too logical, but you're like, oh, okay, maybe it is trying to hint at something that may or may not have happened. Once again, this seems like a, at times, fictional spin on the history. But I, I was fascinated. I was fascinated by yeah. the idea that he could be flirting. And then I thought, oh, wow, I want to, I want to flirt with uh, women, twenty five younger, with my years. godson's wife, right, thirty years younger too. Let's go, Prince. I want to flirt with my godson's wife. Sure, why not? Heck yeah. <laughs> Spin the wheel. I always want to say no whammies for no reason. And I guess the whammies in this case is Diana. 
We have a new actress. We haven't talked about her. And a wonderful Elizabeth Dybeki is a great actress. I don't want to go great. through her IMDb page because I'll keep saying, oh, did you see this? This is so good. Did you see this? This is so good. Okay. And, you know, this shouldn't matter. But to me, I look at her in the styling in these in these episodes. To me, it really looks like they really make her appear very close to Diana's look. And so that's another fascinating thing. The one thing I would wonder, and just as I was wondering about all these actors taking on the role and taking on the traits, one thing about this actress, Elizabeth Dybeki, is that I don't normally see her play a character like the Diana that we had seen in season in the previous season. So it's interesting to see her to step into that, this type of role, I guess is what I'd say. I think she does a good job at it. I may just be too attached to the previous interpretation of her. But the one thing that, you know, that once again, I'm taking this as a TV show, not real life, but the one thing is you watch it and you just want to say, and I would say if this show was completely fictional, I would say the same thing where a character starts doing things and you just think, Oh no, that's not smart. That's not smart. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so, you know, I get very tense when I hear her phone being tapped, but almost everything else Diana does in this particular episode, I'm like, oh, don't do it. Don't do that. Don't publish a book. Don't tell this person. Don't trust this person. And so that was kind of the big, that was the big uh, feelings I had throughout the episode anytime Diana was on the screen. What do you think? I I agree with you. I, I think the thing that strikes out to me more so than anything else is she's tall, right? Yeah. Uh, now we got to we got we got to be careful about Elizabeth Dybeki and her height because what uh, what a lot of shows uh, apparently with her in it have tried to do is hide her height and and do various things to to not have her be the height she is. So you know you wouldn't have her in heels. You wouldn't have this that. It is something that any viewer would notice. But there was uh, but I'm I'm only being careful about it because. Before the crown season five began, there were like Twitter campaigns that would say, let Elizabeth be tall. (laughs) Don't make her, you know, don't try to hide, make her do some ridiculous stunt of always standing in a hole to make it worthwhile, you know, to make it make sense to have her be Diana. So I tried not to think about that, even though I always noticed it watching these uh, three episodes I've seen so far. But uh, so she's tall. Anything else you want to say, Matt? Sorry, I cut you off. Okay, well, my point was going to be is the way that it affects the way the other actors look, because to Mm. me, uh, Dominic West uh, looks like a much shorter version of Charles. Jonathan (laughs) Price looks like a much shorter version of Philip. It's it's not it's not anything against her. And I think that it even works beautifully as a metaphor. This is Diana's big moment of shining. Her book comes out. The interview Mm. comes out. All of this stuff in the 90s is uh, not just it's like the explosion of her stardom beyond what she was before just as the princess of wales her 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 stardom continues to evolve so i think as a metaphor her being taller than everybody else ahead above everybody else literally is incredible do do you remember this book coming out again please listeners don't hold it against me that i'm i wasn't a angliophile in the 90s especially about the royal family anyway do you remember this, Matt? Were you did you have the thoughts that I thought of like, ooh, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that? That's interesting because I f- felt 
what I got out of out of that whole situation uh, was nothing but sympathy for mm. for Diana I, oh, because wow. relaying okay. all of these relaying all of these personal things about herself um, basically for a complete stranger to transcribe and and to put in a book I don't like the way the book was done I I mm. think that she should have just said yeah I'm going to do it anyway and just done it I mean I mean I understand that there's certain things in the system that you don't do uh but i i just feel like that all of this middleman two-handedness stuff uh was just a little bit too uh clever for its own good because in the end everybody know you know everybody knows anyway that that she was the one that was telling andrew morton this stuff the book was huge from what i rem uh from what i've read uh okay. and and uh was you know it was getting her press coverage everywhere so i can't say that you know she gives the reasoning that she needs to get it out there before somebody else puts something else that's not true out the problem that i have is the relationship with princess diana and charles has always been a he said she said right mm. even up until the time that she died and i don't like um having to to go through the motions of that so i completely understand why she wanted to get it out there first, but it wasn't just, it was just a couple of years later that Charles put out a book as well. And he had a documentary. He put his documentary out on ITV long before she got her special on uh, with uh, Martin Bashir or whatever. Um, so it's just kind of, there was this whole period of four years where it was just a back and forth and back and forth. And all you had to do was pick up any, any rag uh, in a supermarket line. And you were going to see something about the two of them one way or the other, whether they'd spent, even a week together or not uh during this portion of of their marriage so that's um, the problem that i had was the, pro the process in which she she did it the fact that she tried to hide that she was part of it okay matt do you mind if i uh go with a early parliamentary debate on this specific episode let's do it Philip believes that, okay, I have this way to work around the system, to make the system work for me. From what we've been presented, and I admittedly, I'm going back to season four as well. Is there any way that Diana could have worked within the system to find happiness? Had the system worked for her the way Philip is implying that it works for him? Is there any way? Because I don't see it. I don't see, based on the way the show has presented these characters and these events, I don't see any way that Diana could work the system to where she would be happy. Well, we saw her do it with Kensington in season four, right? And she completely failed. Um, I, I mean, it wasn't her fault that it failed, but that's ultimately what happened with that uh, military guy, right? So, uh, no, she cannot. I, I mean, I hate to just agree with you and end it right there. No, but, that's fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's any way that she could ever be, one, happy. Uh, given the situation as it was now if charles had been an attentive and a loving husband i mm -hmm. don't think that these issues would have even come up you know uh, one of the things that we learn about philip and elizabeth is that they're so different that you know that's kind of what attracts each other and keeps their stability strong but here you have charles who wants to like you mentioned earlier charles uh will hold diana back from being a star because you know even though that's what attracted him 
I, I think that there's just too many competing agendas for the two of them for for Diana to ever be happy or to find a way in the system to make it work. Even though Philip brings it up again, he says, you can still do this. And, and she just doesn't have an answer. I don't think. Not at all. But Listeners, folks, if you what have you, a different what, idea, let us know. Tweet at LittleBitPod on Twitter, or you can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, or leave comments on those YouTube videos, youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Leave comments down there. Be sure to hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe because Double P is going to be covering a lot of stuff this year. You're going to want to see all of it from Star Wars to, oh, who knows what. Star Wars. <laughs> from Star Wars to Star Wars. Another parliamentary debate? Uh, good, good show, old man. Let's try it. All right. Well, uh, we've already kind of touched on this, uh, but maybe we should just hash it out once and for all, Bubba. Is getting your story out there under the guise of you having nothing to do with it a good idea? I kind of pose that, the fact that I do not like that idea. I think it's an awful idea. I think that you should just come out and say, this is me. Oh, I, I, I think either. I think either are bad. I think the idea of doing it is weird with ghost interviews where they're not, you know, doing it with this middleman. I think that's a bad idea. But I also think it's a bad idea for her to go out and say those things. Now, let me say that if I was, you know, if I was, how old is she supposed to be during when this is going on? Like 25, 26, maybe? How old is she? 27, 30? How, however old she's supposed to be when this happened. I think me in my early 20s would have that vibe of, listen, I get, why can't I tell my story? But me after 30, this is like a horrific idea. I'm, the whole time I was going, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not say these things. When you write things in print, as people see all the time, a lot of context can be lost. Even in an interview, when they chop up your interview and just use a certain soundbite, there are times when context could be lost and i just the whole time i was covering my eyes being <laughs> saying diana don't do it so never publish that is my that would be my post 30 year old thought well here's the other argument for your argument and that okay. is you know uh people will run over your bike or they'll raid your your house if you do this mm. do you believe that there was any kind of conspiracy uh, or that the phone clicks were just the operator at Pen Kensington or at Buckingham Palace or Kensington Palace or no whatever, no no whatever I thought palace. the phone I thought the phone clicks were some of the best part of the episodes the most uh, uh, nerve wracking part of the episodes I thought somebody was trying to tap her phone somebody getting hit on a bike on a road that sadly sadly happens way too much without any sort of evil conspiracy in it so that's what I thought. Well, and also a guy, the, the the book writer, got his home broken into, but nothing was taken. So that's kind of weird. Of course, maybe he had this stuff hid very well. But no, it, boy. <laughs> you know. Uh, so here's the poll. Are you a conspiracy theorist when it comes to Diana or not? That way you don't have to actually answer by adding me and putting your name on something. You can just vote on the poll at Pod on Twitter. We'll share those results in the future. Here's your history notes for Season 5, Episode 2. 
Here are your history notes for Season 5, Episode 2. Penny's daughter, Lenora Louise Marie Elizabeth Natchbull, died of kidney cancer on October 22, 1991. Source, Wikipedia. Diana, Her True Story in Her Own Words, a book by Andrew Morton, was published in the United Kingdom in hardcover format on June 16, 1992, by Michael O'Mara Books. Philip, in fact, did not confront Diana before the book was published, and instead, according to reports, read it when it was published in 1992 while on a trip to Boston. Source, Cambridge News. On November 24, 1992, an IRA unit exchanged fire with a combined British Army RUC patrol at Castleburg, County Tyrone. The IRA members had been surprised outside the house of a Royal Irish Regiment soldier. More than 70 shots were fired. This incident is not chronologically correct if the book was released in June. There is one incident that it could possibly be detailing of January 22, 1992. A former UDR soldier was shot and injured on his way to work at Fyfen Road near Castleburg County, Tyrone. Source, Wikipedia. But before we get into our final episode mm. uh, to cover for this particular podcast episode, uh, we wanted to share some of the feedback that we received from the last time that uh, we were on, which was well over what over About a, year, a ago. year ago. Yeah, yeah, at least a year ago. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get to this feedback a bit early just because of this first bit, which I'm going to read from uh, Tepra. One, two, three, one, two, three. That sounds like either a bot name or a really bad password. <laughs> well, they wrote, literally talking about the royal family in England 70 years ago. And these Americans are flicking their hair saying, OMG, I don't like, um, like the prince acted like, um, cool. Oh, so- thank you so much for noting the way I flicked my hair. I really appreciate <laughs> that, you know? So... I really, and I mean really, understand how this could come across to somebody who, who this is the royal family of England. This is their monarchy. This is their royalty. And the fact that foreigners, these Americans, could be making flippant comments about this show and, and indirectly about them, I understand how that could frustrate people. In that's why I said it till I'm blue in the face. I am really approaching this like a show. And so when I flick my little curly Q hair that's left and say, yeah, I don't really think Prince Philip is that interesting. I mean the character in this show, not the real person. And I don't mean to insult anybody's, you know, uh, royal family in any way. So I hope that comes across. Right on. Well, I just want to say thanks for pooping on the podcast. Pooping on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) 
Right, you know. What about Oasis 888, Bubba? Uh, I agree about the Charles Diana wedding. I'm sure it would have been a logistical hell to film it. Being three when it happened and my mom not really being a royal family fan, we didn't watch it. It was not until the divorce shenanigans that I paid attention to them, really. Hmm. That said, they did a lot of great things with Diana in season four. Being alone in the palace, shoring up her courage on her wedding day, realizing nobody is going to stand up for her but herself the false sense of secrecy in her bulimia uh the palace kitchen staff said that they all knew and the language of her style evolution all great the stag metaphor was already used in the queen a movie that was written by the producer of the crown as well peter morgan it, is it plagiarism of your own work you can plagiarize your own work oasis you actually can but usually in the terms of creative art it's given a little bit more license if he was publishing a, a, a doctoral thesis if the movie if the television show was a doctoral thesis on the movie then yes he would have to cite himself i recently cited myself <laughs> on a paper myself oh wow so, uh yeah so uh, i had to do that so uh, that was fun to do that. Actually, it's funny. Well, I'm so important that I put myself in my paper. Uh, at any rate, uh, yes, you can uh, plagiarize yourself. In fact, it's an issue that comes up a lot in academia, but not so much in movies. Do you agree? I think these thoughts with, are great. Yeah. Do you agree with Oasis about the great things they did with Diana in season four? Because I certainly do. I certainly do as well. I think that uh, uh, they made her compelling. Um, she wasn't just some kind of uh poster figure that everybody worships or anything you saw her flaws you saw her strengths you saw everything about the character that you needed to see to position you to where this stuff in the and especially in episode two really got me really depressed me because you know all of that coming back up again in that way and uh the becky's performance of it was just amazing well, we love that feedback. What do they need to do, Matt, if they want to give us feedback on these season five podcasts? Well, we want to hear from you at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-BetPod on Twitter, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. You can also use that sp same spelling for the website. Don't forget the word double, the letter P, the word media. That's the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. And you can find all of Double P Media's socials by looking for the spelling double phq that's the word double the letters phq twitter instagram hive and facebook facebook.com slash the word double the letters phq please we want to hear your thoughts because again please we want to give these away you think i have space on my bookshelf anymore for any more of this stuff i do not it must be given away and i'm not going to give it to bubba regardless of how much he says he wants it Way to end the feedback section with a bit of a downer. All right, let's get to the episode three. <laughs> it's all about Mumu and his valet, Sidney Johnson, as we follow Muhammad Al-Fayed through various points in his life, as well as are introduced to his son, Dodi. The flashbacks cover an encounter with the Duke of Windsor in 1946 in Mumu's childhood home of Alexandria, Egypt. Growing up a poor street vendor, Mumu takes the opposite viewpoint of his father regarding any royalty and marries up and has a son that he calls Dodi. Giving his own wealth over time, he purchases the Ritz Hotel Paris where he dismisses an employee, Sidney Johnson, then hires him as a personal valet after learning of Johnson's connection to David and Wallace. Through teaching Al-Fayed how to be acceptable to British society, we see some of Sidney's life at David and Wallace's home in France. Mumu spends considerable time in the episode trying to get close to the royal family, where he faces adversity and even purchases the store where the royal family frequently shops. 
Sometime after the Duchess of Winter dies, Mumu purchases the estate and finances restoring it to help his now friend Sidney's grief. Within the home, the articles of royalty are quickly seized by the Queen's personal secretary with little ceremony. Sidney also becomes sick, but Mumu stays with him and cares for him until his final breath. In the meantime, his son Dodie is financing movies and finds an actual winner in Chariots of Fire which earns an Academy Award for Best Picture. When Dodie comes to see his father at a horse show, Mumu is with Diana, acting as a stand-in for the Queen, and Dodie and Diana exchange hellos for the first time. Went just a few seconds long on that one, and I even sped my voice up for it to match, but nevertheless, I didn't quite get there. Fail on me. Let's not fail when we spin the wheel. Uh, Baba, it, can't read it. What's it say? It's about Mumu and Sydney, the odd couple who make up a majority of this episode. And so, Matt, this is going to go back to my beginning notes of why, why I went only six out of ten. So, Mumu is a new, new character. And it felt like the season really didn't kick into gear in episode one or episode two. Like there was, it doesn't feel like it's really got driving momentum or narrative momentum. And then we suddenly get to episode three and it stops entirely to introduce a new character. Not that I didn't like Mumu, not that I didn't really enjoy the relationship between this insanely rich man, self-made man i guess in some ways based on the way the episode is done and his valet sydney i in a lot of ways i should love it but instead because it felt like the season hadn't even started and suddenly we got to stop and introduce a new element it, it was really tough as a part of a whole now as an individual episode i agree with you once again mumu is a fascinating character the fact that he connected with sydney a, a a also fascinating character in its own way is is wonderful like that could be a film a standalone piece of art but it isn't a standalone piece of art it's a building block at the beginning of season five and so i'm torn on how i feel about it wonderful performances fascinating relationship these two characters form but i'm not sure it's exactly what i needed at this point in the season so tell me how i'm wrong well, I, it's hard for me to disagree with you in terms of the big picture, Bubba, because I think that you got some valid points there. I just got so drawn in by it as kind of its standalone episode, as as its own little mini story within the whole bit, so that it can establish not just uh, Mumu himself, not just uh, Alpha Ed, but also his son Doty, which you know for me a big key moment in that. Uh, comes at the end when Dodie and Diana meet for the first time. So it doesn't feel like a moment at all, but if you understand, uh, as, you have to have historical context history, for it. Right. Yes, you do. Even if you as understand the history as poorly as I do, you understand why this is a fascinating moment, but the show doesn't present it as a moment at all, which in some ways I like. So, yeah. Yeah. As, as would be in real life. They're just, you know, he's just got to, he's got to go, sit with his friends he could care that he could care less that his dad is is all excited about talking to somebody in the royal family who will talk to him rather than just take his stuff uh but this is about sydney and uh and mumu and i thought well, the evolution of that relationship was fantastic it was one of well the how things... did you feel let's say it how did you feel about mumu when the first time he sees sydney is you got to get this guy out of here. I'm trying to yeah, make this hotel look like that was horrific, horrific, complete jerk, complete, 
I mean, as you said, horrific. But you see that the the wonderful thing about going through these series of time jumps and flashbacks with these two is you see how that relationship grows and grows and grows and grows. And first, it's completely out of Mumu's vainness. First of all, he's too vain to want somebody like Sydney working in his hotel. And then he's well, too vain. He he's so vain. He wants to be part of British monarchy, or he wants to be in you know part of British society. And so he's using Sydney, which may be oh, even yeah. more offensive. And but as time you see time pass on, they imply. And again, we're not talking about historical significance or anything, but they imply that he actually bought that home, or leased that home. It was a fifty-year lease for Sydney. More so than for himself, more so than for his desire to be with the queen. It it feels like the way that they are when they see that house as it's getting renovated, that Mumu did this as much for Sydney as he did it for him. And when he finally sits and is sitting with with Sydney uh, on Sydney's deathbed, I mean, to me that is uh, them hugging at for the winning for Dodie winning the Academy Award or in the, or them winning the Academy Award for financing Chariots of Fire. All of that was so moving to me. I could not, I don't care if it was part of any series or if it wrecked any series. I just want more of stuff like that because I thought that was a great journey. Oh, I love hearing that. So, okay. Sidney Johnson, valet to a quote unquote king. Uh, you know, once again, I, I, as a television show, I love every time this Duke of Windsor shows up. He's so he's so fascinating. He's so horrific and wonderful sometimes in his own ways. And so when I saw him in these flashbacks, I was like, heck yeah. And, you know, how is he likable when he's done so many selfish things? He's likable when he's looking at Sydney and he's saying to his wife, you know, this guy's really good. You know, I should hire this guy to be my full-time yeah. valet. He's perfect. And so that, as, as once again, as many terrible things that we're led to believe this character has done throughout his life, there's also moments where you're like, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. And so that's a great way to get us to know Sidney, who really is at in those first beginning times we see him he is really just in the background and so I, I thought that was a great introduction to sydney what did what did you love about the character of sydney well bubba i want to take you back to season i think it was season three yes i think take it was season let's three. go back one time uh and i want you to recall when we see an older david cough blood into a coffin who's or into a, a basin whose name does he call he calls sydney's name he doesn't call wallace's name no, boy. call Sydney's don't name. Call Wallace's name. Okay. Well, uh, I, I I honestly don't remember it, but that makes perfect sense. I love it. Yeah. So I I just love how they show that Sydney, and this this is what I gather from Sydney as a character. Mumu fell in love with him. David fell in love with him. Everybody loves Sydney, and I just absolutely love that. But this actor, I don't know this actor's name, and I apologize, but. He carried that role. There was so much decorum in him, you know, so much, uh, so much presence in this guy at, at, at how things seemed proper and everything. And uh, when you think about the way that Mumu flat out just wanted him out 
because of his appearance yeah. as, as yeah, horrifying as racist yeah and Ooh. yes absolutely racist and you you look and as you see the flashbacks with david and the way that he's teaching mumu about british society the way that sydney's teaching mumu about british society you can see that this guy has a lot of pride and he has a lot to be proud about and i thought that that was absolutely magnificent yeah it it's it's fun once again i i think it's tough at this point of the season to stop everything and follow new characters in one character who doesn't make it all the way to the end, but it is fascinating. Let's spin the wheel. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I guess it is natural that this would come up, but Davis and Wallace, is this the last time we're going to see David and Wallace? Now I haven't watched forward ahead of these three three episodes in season five, but I've got to say, this has got to be the last time, but it is always wonderful to see them. And once again, this is just based on the show and these characters, you know, I, 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 David doesn't deserve forgiveness, but he always does things where you're like, Oh, okay. And then Wallace is just the worst on the show. Like every time I see her, I'm like, Oh, good grief. Why do we have to put up with old Wallace? So, um, what, how do you feel when you see these characters again, Matt? Well, I I loved seeing uh, these two actors uh, doing this. These they're resuming their role because they carried, I guess, because of their their season uh, two. And I think she was actually in season three, wasn't she? I get them. I get them. They've all blended together by now. But, but you know, he was in seasons one and two, I, and for sure. And then she, I think she was in season three. But I, because she was the one who was talking to Charles a lot. But just seeing the two of them together brought such uh, a, a feeling of nostalgia for the earlier seasons, uh, <laughs> and and to see how just how unintentionally. They're just completely awkward because they completely stick out anywhere they go. Uh, and and they're so uh, questionable <laughs> in some of their in some of their in some of their manners or oh boy, just we're gonna the, get, the way they do. We're going to get some comments on YouTube. We apologize. Yeah. It's about the show and not real history. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, at me at little bit pod, send your hate mail there, not to the YouTube. But we I just I love seeing them because it makes it it always makes me think what's he going to do that's going to make me hate him what's he going to do that's going to make me love him that's right, the way uh, i always feel about how's David. he going to screw up this <laughs> yeah how's he going to screw this up how's he going to make it up to me uh, it seems like it's always that way uh with david uh, i'll tell you what though it, just yeah. carrying those characters through that uh that scene uh with wallace dying was absolutely horrific um that really got me as as somebody who's you know losing people all the time now um mm. that's that's a horrible way to go um so just thought i'd say that and bring the whole podcast down to a crash well i'm i'm glad you did say it i'm glad uh, once again we are talking amongst ourselves we kind of after four and a half seasons we know how we feel about these characters and about this show so listeners the thing that adds a bit of spice is letting us know how you feel david and wallace let's try to leave the history out of this even though we're going to have history notes on them in a bit how did you feel when you saw them pop up here in season 
five. Did you think it was hilarious that of all the people Moo Moo could be fascinated by, it's these two that he first sees and becomes like, ooh, who are they? Uh, let us know at Double PHQ on all the social medias. We love it. Interesting. The wheel just spun, and I, you talked about Moo Moo's fascination with David and Wallace, and we could talk about it in general in royalty. You know what? There's one thing about Moo Moo, and this is another thing that I really love, is I don't know that his fascination with royalty necessarily came out of his personal love for it or out of res- out of just trying to be the opposite of his father, who seemingly hated them. Rebel, uh, rebel teenagers. Yeah, rebelling. And, uh, you know, and, and what does he do? He marries up his his you know that that rich kid's wife that wants to buy buy all the coke and then split the profits or the rich kid's kid's sister he marries up out of his out of his class he continues to climb up and you can see already how mumu is building himself up to be more than what most of society would have intended him to be uh especially at that time so i love that perseverance and I love the fact that his fascination with the royalty, wherever it came from, is very seated general uh, in, you know, genuinely when he's with learns about stuff from Sydney to the point where, oh, my gosh, he's he buys uh, horse show tickets and that's not going to work because he's not close enough. So he nope. just buys the store that sponsors the event so that he can sit next to royalty I mean, you talk about a guy who's just not going to give up on anything. Yeah, we talk about Philip that way, but this guy will do anything. And Go I loved his it. exchange with Diana. Oh, oh, well, yes, she was so charming in that. And he, yes, no, without question, they had a great little bit of back and forth there. Even if he did some kind of despicable things, like his initial dismissal of Sydney, the fact that Mumu had a goal, he went for that goal with, all his, uh, uh, you know, with all the opportunities available to him, that's what you got to do. You have a goal, go for it. Don't hold back. Buy Herod's, dear God, how how incredible. And also wealth. Oh, my Lord. Do these people, you know, here we're, we're around the royal family all the time, but here is somebody who really, you know, probably has a lot more money than the royal family. This is crazy. Did hmm. you think about his son, Annie? What did... Because you don't get a whole lot of Dodie here, but you do get the fact that his son kind of tolerates a lot of the, I, I did love how he wants to make movies. That was, that was fantastic. And, and how excited he was on the set of Chariots of Fire. Uh, while uh, Mumu is just kind of like, what are we doing here? This is Hollywood. <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, how to explain it and not insult a real person, which I'm not trying to insult a real person. I'm trying to say on this episode, this character. Dodie came across as plain rice and Moo Moo came across as the spice. Mm-hmm. And so Dodie really didn't come across much at all as a personality to me. He was fascinating in what he did in producing chariots of fire and that kind of stuff was fascinating. But as a character, he really, you know, he almost seemed to be to play the, the responsible cop while his dad is the irresponsible cop. Yeah. You know, not that those are roles, but he didn't really come across as much anything to me in this episode other than, oh, wait, he's got a mustache now. Oh, now he doesn't have a mustache. What did you think of Dodie? 
I actually found uh, <laughs> uh, him empathetic in this way. Daddy's okay. going to do what daddy's going to do. And I'm the one that oh, has yeah. to clean up the mess. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of got that impression. And I know people that are like that. There's people who have to clean up after my mess all the time. I'm not their daddy, but they still have to clean up after me. So uh, I appreciate all of the Dodies in my life uh, that <laughs> that do this, that come up behind love me. Love you, Dodies. <laughs> yeah, love you, Dodies. Uh, so, but no, that's the way that I found him empathetic. But he didn't have a whole lot to do. It was more just about a way to accentuate who Mumu was. And how about just this? By when him had, giving he... reactions to it. I'm sorry, what? When he, when he had his passionate speech about, no, dad. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I have a passion. I want to produce films. Da da da. Because we knew so little about him, mm -hmm. I couldn't feel. You know, I couldn't feel like, yeah, kid, yeah, you tell your dad. Instead, I thought, you just want your dad's money to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, sure, okay. Here, kid, go. You know, go buy yourself a lollipop. I, I, I didn't have much of an impression of the character based on this one episode, and I haven't watched ahead, so I assume he'll be in more as we go along but uh that was just my thought absolutely uh let's turn not that issue but another issue into a parliamentary debate yes let's go what would be your approach if you want to impress the queen do you buy the windsor estate so that you've got all of the goods that the queen may want to take back or do you buy harrods so that you can just uh, you know sit next to her at a horse show neither of each which worked this is just me i don't have that kind of money so i don't know which which way i would really go but i'm always trying to think of myself as practical and herod's if you've ever been there herod's is as an american you go into herod's and you're really impressed you're like oh wow this this place is crazy and so i think i would buy herod's as a practical thing it's a store it makes money it, it's a destination people go to and if I happen to meet the queen, which is my goal, then that's wonderful. Buying this Windsor estate, if I'm not going to really live there, I'm not sure I, I rent it or buy it or whatever he did to impress the queen. To me, it seems a, a shot in the dark. But maybe we're supposed to believe that the show he was at that point was a shot in the dark. Me, I'm buying Herod's and I'm charging more for the meat pasties to get my money back. <laughs> To me, uh, I feel like the Windsor Estate is uh, a, a more practical gift uh, ah, to the Queen. Uh, okay. Because you, she's never going to forget you, right? Because you bought the place of that one uncle that <laughs> everybody in the family dislikes. They're not going to forget <laughs> about you. They're not going to forget about you. You're forever going to be etched on their brain. Oh, that guy. He's the one that bought David's place. Oh, boy. So, you know, regard, 50, a 50 year lease is kind of a tough one uh, to swallow for sure. And and he turned it he did turn it into a, a, a kind of a B and B of sorts, I believe. And everything. Oh, there you go. OK, uh, so I, I think that uh, I don't think that he uh, he certainly didn't spend much time there, but uh, he definitely renovated it and did all of that and, and looked at it as kind of an investment. Uh, I I just love that they attach this reasoning to it, uh, which may or may not be true historically. I don't know.
once again, I'm not sure this was the story I wanted at this point in episode three, but it did have moments. And I suppose this is one of those moments. So there you go. Yeah. We'll put this on the poll on Twitter. Uh, if you had to impress the queen, would you buy the Windsor estate or would you buy Harrods? And uh, you, you know, they're going to show up at Harrods more often. That's for sure. But you may, you may be more in their brain if you buy the estate. So that that's the debate that you must decide at little bit on Twitter. Look for the poll. Uh, let's find out what really happened in this episode historically with our history notes. Here are your history notes for Season 5, Episode 3. The 1946 Alexandria visit, there is no record of David and Wallace visiting Alexandria or meeting Mr. Al-Fayed. During that time, it is reported that they spent most of their time in France. Source, Cambridge News. In 1979, Al-Fayed did purchase the Ritz Hotel Paris. The movie, Doty financed, Chariots of Fire won an Academy Award in 1982. Source, Wikipedia. Harrods was purchased by Al-Fayed in 1985 and reported in the newspapers on March 12th of that year. Wallace Simpson, the Duchess of Windsor, died on April 24, 1986. Source, Wikipedia. Number four, Rue de Champs d'Entremont, David and Wallace's home, was purchased by Al-Fayed on a 50-year lease of the estate. By 1989, Al-Fayed had spent three years and $14.4 million on recreating the mansion as it was 30 years prior. Source, The New York Times. Sidney Johnson died on January 17th of 1990. Source, Wikipedia. we have come to the end of our Whoa. first little bit podcast can you believe it we've been talking about all three episodes we kind of went through them is there anything we missed anything you want to bring up before we say goodbye oh wait this is based on the real royal family no <laughs> no i'm good i'm good i hope i have not watched these episodes i'm just getting into it now and i know there is a what do we call fans of the crown? Crowniacs, uh, uh, crown fanatics, uh, Her Majesty's subjects. 
I know there has been some talk that this season isn't as fun or as brilliant as some of the others. And so I hope it turns around. I hope I find the one episode that really connects with me because while there's good moments in all three of these, I think it's been a bit rough. So mm. that's my thought. And we'll hear my next thoughts on the next podcast to see if I'm more on Yacht Britannia or if I'm like, these CCs are still pretty choppy. Will Bubba come out of the foxhole or will he remain entrenched? We'll put that on the poll as well. We want you to send your feedback to us. Try to convince Bubba that he's wrong, completely wrong, as usual. Right. Or try to convince me that I'm wrong, completely wrong, as usual, because neither of us are right very often. Uh, you can do so by tweeting at LilibetPod, L-I-L-I-Bet-Pod on Twitter. You can also send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. Use that same spelling for the website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can leave comments on our YouTube videos. You can find those as part of the Double P Media YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. And you can also use the word double, the letters PHQ, to find all of their socials, including Facebook, Instagram, Hive, and Twitter. See you next time. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.